Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you had a good weekend. Welcome back to the Trending Ticker. I'm your host, Parker Friedman, and today we got two all-time highs to talk about. Firstly, in the NASDAQ, finishing up 1%, closing at a price of 11,129.73. The tech boom is back after a little bit of a sell-off at the beginning of the month. Tech seems to be resurging back. The Dow was lagging behind, finishing down 0.31% with the S&P finishing up 027 But that second all-time high where he, we have to talk about is Tesla finishing well above 1800 on the day for no other reason other than the stock split. People are trying to get in pre-stock split. And in reality, it's just going to make the stock more expensive post. So I think people are just trying to get in now for whatever reason before the stock split. It's always fun to talk about when a company reaches an all-time high and sit and talk about the fundamentals behind the company and why it's finally reached this new record high. But in reality, with Tesla right now, the only reason it is up so significant is because of, because of this five-for-one stock split that they will be doing at the end of the month. And, you know, in reality, they're not even going to gain anything out of it because they what they wanted to do was gain the ability – to bring in new shareholders at a less expensive price so retail investors could get in. And I think at this point, with the stock as high as it is, the four for or five for one, excuse me, stock split that they're looking to impose is really, it's not going to bring the price down enough for, you know, an everyday investor to afford. I think if they, I don't know if they can legally go and change the, the split ratio now after the fact, but I think at this point, they've kind of, they've kind of lost that bojo. Um, but who knows, maybe retail investors are getting in at this high price just to get more shares. I don't know the strategy behind it. I don't really want to talk about the strategy behind it. I'm just going to let you know the reason Tesla is now at an all-time high is only because of the stock split. It is not because some magical fundamental analysis just came out or because of some chart breakout or anything like that. It is strictly because of the hype around the stock split. Now, let's get into our individual company news for the day. Zoom up 8%, carrying the NASDAQ this morning after it announced that they will be implementing cloud phone services in 40 new different countries. Zoom is taking over, ladies and gentlemen. It is everywhere. It is in schools. It is in corporations. It is now in phones. And I think this is the next big company. I, I really do. I think that people are realizing that this stay from home thing, even if we get a vaccine that cures COVID and COVID's never a thing anymore. This stay from home thing is going to be around a while. I think companies are finally realizing it's a lot cheaper to have their employees work from home. They're not going to want to pay lease payments and buy property. They'd rather just have you work from your house on your computer through Zoom. And I just think the companies, it's making money. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say the valuation's justified for the money they're making. Their, their PE is over a thousand. But they're making money, which, you know, I had a rant about that last week, how companies should be making money. You should want the companies to be earning money. So them making money is a good sign. And I think it's just going to continue. I think it's going to continue to grow. I'm really curious to see what happens throughout the rest of the year. If we go into another lockdown, how much this stock will be impacted by that, because already you're seeing an increase in the use of it through schools and schools. Most schools aren't opening. I know I'm in an area of the state of Massachusetts that has a lot of schools around it. And I don't believe all of us are going back. We are half online, half offline here at Clark. And 
We still use Zoom and we have access. I have access to a Zoom account that allows me to host an event, a meeting of up to 100 people. The everyday college student doesn't need that, but my university is still paying for me to have it. And that right there shows the demand for Zoom. We don't even need that feature as students really in reality, but we still have that ability and the school is paying for us to have that ability. So that's, you know, a testament to Zoom's earning power that they can get schools to be buying these options that they might not even really need. So Zoom, I think, is the next big company. I, I really do think it could be an Amazon-like company and be an innovator in the space of online communication. And it'll be really interesting to see, you know, five, 10 years down the line, if we continue to operate online in a lot of aspects of American life, how that stock is doing. I do think that it's going to be the lead innovator in the space of online communication. And like I said, looking forward to seeing what the stock does in the future. Now, moving on, we had Disney or Disney and Verizon announced that Verizon will have phone plans that will allow you to also have subscriptions to Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus. Um, you know, this is a new story, but I don't really think it impacts the stocks that much. It didn't today. Both finished down. Disney roughly 1% and Verizon, you know, stayed steady. It was down 0.02%. In reality, this does nothing for either company. It's just a marketing ploy, really. And, you know, people might look at it as a net positive that maybe Disney would get more subscribers. But if they're free subscribers at the end of the day, which was the concern at the beginning, because when Disney Plus initially launched, one of the major concerns was that Verizon did offer free Disney Plus subscriptions with certain phone plans and that that was going to inflate that Disney Plus number too high. They missed it last quarter. So I, I, as we can see, I don't think it really affected it. But, you know, at the end of the day, I just, it doesn't really affect either company's earning power. It doesn't give either company a leg up on any competition. Like this isn't helping Disney edge out Netflix, right? People who ha want those streaming services are going to have them no matter what. They'll, and most likely in all cases, have them before they go get a new existing plan, like from Verizon who gets them. So I just, I really think this is a marketing ploy. I don't really know how good of a marketing ploy it is. I'm not a marketing whiz. Maybe someone who is can tell me that it's a lot better of a plan than I'm making it out to be, but I truly don't think it's going to make that big of a difference for either company. And then finally, our last stock specific story of the day is that Chevron is in talks with Iran to do exploratory oil dr drilling in the country. Um, you know, this is always big for oil companies when they are getting a chance to drill in an open area space and new spaces, the stock only finished up like half a percent today though. So, I mean, until the deal's really in place, I don't think there's much to talk about it. If they can drill in Iran, Iran's obviously an oil bearing country, much larger oil bearing space than the United States has. So it'll be interesting to see if these exploratory drilling um, adventures, I'm gonna call them, will lead to anything for Chevron. If anything, it's just gonna, you know, bring in more supply of oil, which will drop prices, which unless Chevron is selling an exponentially higher amount of oil, which I don't think they are, that they will be, that they will just drop the price. So I don't think, again, another story that really doesn't, it will affect the stock if Chevron hits a massive well, but if in the end, that won't be for another 10, 10 years, if that. So I don't think another one that doesn't really affect the stock in too great of a, um, you know, too great. But as we saw today, the stock only moved half a percent after it. It spiked a little. 
to its all-time high, probably right around the, or not all-time high, to a high of the day of about 91, like right around the time the announcement was made, but it didn't close that much higher. So I think, again, it's just a more of a wait and see proposition. It's a good news story. You always like to see positive news for companies like that, especially American companies. But at the end of the day, it won't have too much of an effect on the stock price in the near term. All right, moving on to the macroeconomic data we got today. Let's start off with Goldman Sachs. Increasing its S&P 500 price target to 3,600 for years end, that is an increase of 6%. And they say that U.S. GDP will rebound to an increase of 6.4% in 2021. So let's first talk about that GDP number. The GDP number is realistic, right? Because we were closed down for a quarter and a half this year. So of course the GDP number is going to rebound. Now, I'm going to call the S&P SPY. But the SPY number... I, I personally don't believe it's realistic, but what do I know? I'm not a Goldman Sachs analyst, but I, I just think we're due for a major market correction by around election time. We talked about this last week. I think with everything going on right now, I think we're going to get a little bit of a spook in the market as we move closer to election time. And then as we get around election time, especially if this mail-in voting thing doesn't work out the way they want to, and it takes a week or two for us to decide who the president of the United States is. So it'll be interesting to see, I guess, why. I didn't get to read the actual analyst report on it. I just, I don't believe that 3,600 is a realistic money, a realistic number for the S&P, unless the Fed just keeps propping this market up, which in all honesty is completely possible. You know, they've already propped it up this much at a time where it really should be down. I'm going to go into some other data that shows it kind of should be down, but you know what? If they think the Fed's going to prop this market up to 3,600, then I could believe it. But if it's just based on economic forces propping this thing up to 3,600, I don't believe that's the case. So moving on, Manhattan rental vacancy reaches its highest point since 2013. It's about at 6%, 6% vacancy in Manhattan, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it is. It's It was, as I said, the highest number since 2013, and I think it shows people, A, not being afford, able to afford renting a place in, in a city, and B, a flood of people leaving the cities, and that's never a good sign for those cities. When your rich tax base leaves, you're going to have issues producing revenue, and if you keep spending the way that a lot of states and cities spend, it's going to become more of an issue down the line. But right now, what it really shows is that people don't have enough money to afford places in those areas and don't want to live there either because if if it was a normal economic condition when you have vacancies in manhattan those are going to go lickety split but right now i think the mixture of people not wanting not wanting to live there because of covid and not having the money to live there is really becoming an issue and the uh affordable living costs are getting too high especially in the city but some positive data is home builder sediments at its highest level since 1998 with uh, for this month with or last, so excuse me July, with single family home sales and buyers traffic increasing over the past month. Now this is showing that people want to buy homes because of how low interest rates are, which in translation means how low mortgage rates are. But I don't think it's going to be in the cities. I think you're going to see, like I said, a real flood from cities. And this is good. This is a good economic condition to be in if people want to buy homes. Now, granted, again, another Fed related thing. The Fed, you know, squishing interest rates down is a part of this reason. And that's when you got to wonder and you got to think, is this really a real 
push to buy homes or is it a push to buy homes simply because of how low interest rates and mortgage rates currently are? So that's where I'm up in the air about this number that came out today on whether it's a positive sign or a negative for the economy, because I'm of the camp that believes that the Fed is, you know, boosting all these numbers through quelling interest rates and boosting the stock market through you know, purchasing bonds and ETFs and pumping money into the economy. That's another thing. Pumping money into the economy is going to help because as of right now, we're not caught up to the inflationary rate. So it'll be interesting to see. At the end of the day, it's a good number. You know, you always like to see sediment high, no matter what industry or sector we're looking at. But it makes you think, is the low interest rates the true reason for that? All right. So I want to move on to what I want the main topic of the show to be. And that's these 13F reports we got this weekend. Now, if you don't know what 13F reports are, is it's basically large hedge funds disclosing their holdings. And why why is this interesting? Well, you're looking at people who are the smartest money managers in the world and what you get an inside look at their portfolios. And it's it's interesting to see how where the difference is with some people are. And the differences between what, you know, one large hedge fund manager believes is going to happen in the market and the economy, one, another one is. So I'm going to point out a prime, prime difference here is Steve Cohen and Bill Ackman. So Steve Cohen, ready for this, has SPY puts, which is the S&P 500 index of put is the right to sell a security at a certain strike price. So it's basically shorting. So he's short the S&P 500. He is long Alibaba and Amazon. So what do you think that means? Well, as we saw, Alibaba and Amazon, huge increase of an, uh, during the shutdown. And what happened during a shutdown? The market tanked. So what may, it makes me believe is that Steve Cohen believes we're going to be in another shutdown in, in the near term. And you know what? I think... It's all very, very possible, and he's set up beautifully in that portfolio for that. Those are his top three holdings, his spy puts, Amazon, and Alibaba. You know, if China shuts down again, Alibaba will be big because they're going to be delivering everything to the Chinese citizens. If we shut down again, Amazon's obviously going to be big. Amazon's getting big no matter what. I think Amazon's going to continue to grow. I think the the lockdown only expedited them truly, truly taking over the e-commerce and online um, retail space and even retail space in general. So I think they're just going to be continually growing. And then I think he's in beautiful position. Obviously, as I've said, I'm bearish this market, but he's in beautiful position with those spy puts. Now, the opposite, Bill Ackman, he is long lows. 22% of his assets are in lows. Lowe's is reporting earnings, I believe, tomorrow or the next day. So that'll be an interesting day to see how his portfolio does after that earnings, which I think is, I mean, I expect they're going to be higher. Um, QSR, which is restaurant brands who owns Burger King, uh, Popeyes, those type of restaurants, and then Chipotle. So Bill Ackman is clearly in the camp of this V-shaped recovery, right? He thinks that people are going to be going back to restaurants and people are going to be improving on their homes, which obviously I think the Lowe's is a good, uh, we just witnessed that home sentiment. I think Lowe's is a good position to be in for that. I just find it funny how him and Steve Cohen, who are two great, great financial minds who have beaten the market on a very, a huge consistent basis over the past 10 years, 
and, you know, we're always on CNBC. People always look out for them. Um, Bill Ackman's the one who, during the lockdown, said this market's going to hell and got accused of shorting the market after he made those remarks and everything like that. So Bill Ackman's a very popular guy. Or not, I wouldn't say popular, but well-known individual in the world of finance. And, you know, it's just so funny to see two completely opposite investment strategies during this time, one believing clearly that we're in a V-shape. I, I don't think there's any other way to explain that his top three holdings are all non-COVID correlated stocks. And then one that is, I think, from what I would guess, is in place for another shutdown. Spy puts, unless he's just completely bearish the market. And Amazon and Alibaba, who dominated the world. That's how people got everything they needed during during the lockdown. So I think he is seeing another lockdown in the near future. And it's going to be interesting to see because I do believe these hedge fund managers have, they don't have inside information, but they know things we don't, obviously. So it'll be interesting to see who's right, who's got the right sources telling them the right things and why they should be acting this way. Next up, we got Warren Buffett, who is really, really interesting. I gave, I got the top four holdings for Warren Buffett. Really interesting. He's in Gold Barrick, which is, G-O-L-D. It's another gold company. It's up 12% today because he, they said he invested in it. That, that's what amazes me about Warren Buffett. The Buffett bump is still very, very real. A lot of people try to argue that he lost his touch this year after selling the airlines at a huge loss. But who could have seen COVID coming and the effect on everything? So really, Warren Buffett's still Warren Buffett, folks. And if you're going to sit here and deny the fact that that man is not a financial and investing genius, you're silly. He's not lost his touch. He's still very much there. He's in control of Berkshire Hathaway still. And I think the gold investment is he believes that, you know, we're going to have inflation like we've talked about. And today the dollar price index was down to below $93, you know. So he's setting himself up for possible inflation. The next three were interesting to me because they really didn't have any correlation with anything. He invested with Kroger. I think Kroger's a good company. I do think they're at about what my price target would be for them for the year, about $34, $35 a share. Um, They they saw a huge bump in revenues and earnings during COVID, interestingly enough, because it was, you know, a local grocery store that people went to. So obviously he might be thinking COVID there. And then you got Sirius XM or Liberty Media merged together. I, that one's weird to me. I, I never really understood the investment. I would, I don't understand the investment in that at all. It's at $35 a share. I just, you know, what Sirius XM Liberty media, it, it's just, it's in the, it's car radio. I don't know. I know they have subscribers and basically every new car you get now has Sirius XM. And I think people are just like, Oh yeah, I'll pay for that. And don't really think about it, but you know what? Why? I, I don't know. That's an interesting one to me. And they have StoreCap, which is a uh, retail investment trust, which I think will be interesting to see how that performs. Um, obviously, real estate's in a really interesting spot right now. You know, commercial real estate's in an interesting spot because, as we talked about earlier, with companies moving away from working in physical locations, it'll be interesting if those those REITs liquidate those assets and shut down or they go and they sell those assets or liquidate and sell. But, you know, if they, what they do with those real real estate assets, especially for retail locations, which I mean, I, I think store is is in there. I'm not positive, but, I, you know, 
So it'll be interesting to see what those happens in those retail spaces. I know a lot of them have been in talks with, like we talked about last week with Amazon and all of them to buy out those locations. So it'll be interesting to see. Maybe he's waiting for the company to liquidate itself and just get those capital gains distributions that, that will come with that. The final one we have today is Michael Burry. And Michael Burry's in some really, really interesting ones too. GameStop. I think he's in, in GameStop primarily waiting for an acquisition. I can't imagine that he's in GameStop waiting for appreciation of the stock. You know, that that one's interesting to me. GameStop's in a really, really tough spot right now with a lot, a lot of debt. He also could just be waiting for a massive short squeeze before the end, which is completely possible too. Their short interest is through the roof. And I think, I do think they could have a massive short squeeze at some point, like one bit of positive news and all of a sudden the, the stock rockets up strictly because shorts have to cover because they're, they're, you know, stopped out or the margin call is just getting too, too high. So that one I think is, is strictly just waiting for an acquisition. Bed Bath & Beyond's interesting. Um, I do think the company is under new management right now. Uh, I think, I think that that's in a good spot. Uh, I'm curious to see what their future holds. But that's, I think that's a good value investment for him. It's a low stock price. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think at the end of the day, if it were to turn really bad, the company would be a key acquisition target, unlike GameStop, which I don't think there's a possibility it doesn't get acquired because I think everything's just moving. You can buy all your video games on the console. So, but, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond, I do think there's a market for that to be acquired, but I do think it's going to end up being a successful company in a little while. And then finally, persistent drilling, getting into that oil and gas space. I mean, you know, I, you see it with OPEC lately where oil was so, so low because I flooded the market. So oil and natural gas is just a really tough thing to call because it, it's such a, a non-U.S. correlated asset because U.S. is not directly a member of OPEC. So that's a really tough call to make. Um, but then again, he's the guy who, if, for those who don't know who Dr. Michael Burry is, I, I should have mentioned this in the beginning. He's the guy who shorted the housing market in 08. The big short is basically the movie. It's the movies about him. I, so the, he's obviously got some insight into things that a lot of people don't look for. I can only make my predictions on why he bought those companies. He is in like Facebook and Alphabet and companies like that too. He's at the GameStop, I think is a call option, actually, if we want to be real specific about it. So it's going to be really interesting to see how his portfolio shakes out and how he returns this year. Cause he's got a really interesting portfolio of securities that I don't really know are correlated with anything. He's just completely diverse and that's, you know, good in some ways and bad in some ways, it kind of limits your, your growth potential diversification lowers your risk, but it it lowers your, um, you know, return potential as well. So it'll be really interesting. I think those 13 Fs are really, really telling that even the biggest hedge fund managers in the world have no idea where this market's going. And, you know, that it shows because none of them are concise on what they're buying. They're all buying for different scenarios. You know, one's buying for another shutdown, One's buying for a V-shaped recovery and Warren Buffett and Michael Burry are all over the place. So, you know, really interesting to see that. I think that was a huge, that should be a big news story from this weekend that even the money, the biggest money market managers in the world have no idea where this market is going today or ever.
You know, they don't know what's going to happen in the next three months. They don't know what's going to happen with the election. They don't know what's going to happen with the Fed. It's just a big mystery right now. Not that the market ever really has a clear path. There's always going to be ups and downs, but typically there's some type of narrative that you are able to follow. In this market, just it really doesn't have a narrative. You know what the narrative is? Why the hell is it up? Right? Fed's bumping it up. What what the now the narrative is just a mystery right now. I think we we're going to have a contested election that we have never had in this country. I think we're going to, you know, ha- might have another shot. It's all just such a mystery. It's more of a cloud of dust than ever before. And I think these 13Fs show that the companies and the investment managers don't know what to do. And it's a scary time for them. And it's a scary time for us. We don't know what's going on either. For all we know, tomorrow, COVID could sweep the country again and we all go into lockdown. So I think the uncertainty is the narrative right now of this market. And I think those 13Fs show it. So. Like always, these statements are my opinion and should not be taken as investment advice. Check me out on YouTube. First video went up Saturday, Parker Friedman, that's the name of the channel. And we talked about Roth IRAs, really good and insightful video. Check it out if you get the chance. Also follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Twitter is at the Notorious PF3 and LinkedIn is Parker underscore Friedman3. In the bios of each of those, There is my Linktree link. That's where you can find the YouTube channel if you can't find it normally. And if you could please subscribe and give this podcast a review, it helps us get bumped up the charts a little bit. But until next time, folks, see you tomorrow and stay investing.